meeting to order since it's 3.30. Thanks. Um, so that's official. Call the meeting to order. <laughs> uh, now I'll do the roll call. Uh, Michael Einan Lynch. Here. Uh, John Frazier. Here. Radish Giannakouris. He's not online either, right? Okay, thanks. Uh, ben Grimm. Here. Ben, ben is online. I heard a soft. Here. I heard a here. <laughs> Clarity Guerra. Here. Megan Hill. Here. Casey Hutchinson. Casey's not online. Uh, Matt Krieger. Here. Jesse Lechben. Is that a yes? <laughs> is that, okay. uh, so Jesse's not here. Uh, Becky Sogman's here and Gabe Sturdivant. Here. Okay, so welcome everyone on the return to winter. <laughs> um, any would the staff like to identify themselves for the record? Sarah Gardner, Climate Action Coordinator, present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so next we have approval of the minutes from the meeting of February 7th, 2022. Those are were included in the packet and are there any corrections needed? I'll just note Casey Hutchinson is here, is present now. And Jesse Luckband is joining us remotely now as well. Good to know, thanks. Um, so uh, is there a motion, if there's no corrections needed to the minutes, um, is there a motion to approve the minutes of February 7th, 2022? I shall move. A second? Second. So moved by Frazier, second by Guerra. Um, all in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, public comment. So um, don't, well, I'll just note that anyone, if there is anyone from the public who would like to address the commission, if you're, there's no one in the room that is obvious. So, but if anyone's online, you may address us for uh, no more than, uh, or for up to three minutes. And due to how I, uh, public meeting laws work, we commissioners can only listen to your issue and can't engage in discussion or take any action on an item that's not already listed on the agenda. So is there anyone from the public who would like to speak? And if so, please state your name. Um, nobody listed. I can't quite see the names up there. So it doesn't look like we have too many people online. So, all right. Um, so uh, given there's no, no one from the public comment, we will move on to our agenda item of announcements. These are informational updates, starting with action items from the last meeting um, from staff. Yeah, thanks. Um, Becky, do you mind to, um, if you move your microphone just a little closer, that'll make it easier for our transcriptionist. Sure. Thank you. Um, so there were two action items listed at the end of the last meeting, but they're actually both the same action item listed a different way. Um, and that was for the staff to provide updates on the progress with the project-based working group formation um, and to discuss that transition. So you'll see that that actually is the top item in our unfinished business next. And there is a detailed plan included in the agenda packet for this meeting. So, all right, then if we will wait then for that discussion and move on to 5B to the upcoming events. Yes, per the request at the last meeting to keep you apprised of upcoming events, we wanted to put four on your radar. Um, as you know, we've been hosting monthly speaking of discussions. We've been getting really great participation from the public in these. 
The next one is scheduled for next Monday, March 14th at noon. It's going to be focused on electric vehicles. Um, and we do record those and make the recordings available via YouTube. So if you're unable to attend at that time, we can certainly pass along the recording if you have interest. Um, the next one is the cold climate heat pump webinar that has been much discussed in previous meetings. That is going to be taking place at 8.30 in the morning on March 17th. Um, it is focused in this particular presentation on contractors. And part of our thinking behind that is that uh, we're working really hard to engage them as a key stakeholder group for this. And we, want, we don't want them to feel kneecapped, like we're reaching out to the public about a program before consulting them as our local experts first. So there is going to be a recording made that will later be made available to the public. But for this first meeting, we're in, keeping it focused solely on the contractors. That being said, I know there is interest among commission members to attend. If you would prefer to attend the live discussion rather than see the recording of it, just reach out to me and we'll make sure that you get a link so that you can do so. Uh, the next item is our neighborhood energy blitz, uh, which has now been scheduled officially for April 23rd. It's going to take place in Lucas Farm neighborhood this year. Um, details are lining up quite nicely for that. We just wanted to give you a little advance notice on this one in case anybody would like to mark their calendars to participate uh, with the other volunteers who will be handing out uh, kits door to door. Last year, it was a whole lot of fun especially uh, in the afternoon, picking those kits back up. And Megan, you could speak to that a little if there's anything you want to add about that experience. I, I had a lot of fun. Um, I would encourage you guys to participate if you can, even for a little bit, because it's really awesome picking those kits back up and seeing what people put in there. I'm assuming, are you doing the battery stuff again? Yes, so okay, just great. like last year, we'll be going door to door in the morning to hand out kits that contain energy saving information and devices. And then in the afternoon, we'll have a second group of volunteers go back through the neighborhood, picking up the boxes. Um, we put a note on them saying if they put their boxes out by 3 p.m., we'll come back around and collect any unused light or rather used light bulbs and batteries so that they can be taken away for proper disposal. And last year, uh, unexpected, people put in all kinds of thank you notes and just said such kind things in response. So it's a nice day of direct action to feel pretty good about what we're doing. And then finally, um, another one to perhaps mark your calendars for is uh, an electric bus celebration that has been scheduled for April 27th at Riverfront Crossing Park. I believe it's taking place from 3 to 5 p.m. Is that correct? No. We can send out the exact time for anybody who'd like to come as well, but there's going to be um, speeches and uh, just a big to-do made about these electric buses for folks who may not have been able to participate in the initial rollout in the heart of winter in January. So fun stuff ahead. This is if anyone has questions about these events. You will just note Stratus has joined the group. We're nearly at a full house. Oh, we are at full house. Everybody's at the meeting. Um, well, we can move on then to item A, the project-based working group formation um, and discussion on that. And I guess I admit, I'm not sure whether I should be leading or Sarah, you wanted to introduce some of this. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, the next item on the agenda is that project-based working group discussion that we had talked a little about in the previous meeting and wanted to go into more detail today. I do, I know it's quite detailed. I do have extra printouts in case anybody didn't print one and bring it with you to the meeting today. Would anybody like to have a hard copy in front of them? Rachel's going to bring those copies around. Thank you. Yep, I think that's the correct one. So that's really, I'm good, thanks. And for the folks who are online, uh, what page in the packet is this? Is it page? Seven and seven. eight, I think. I actually don't know the exact page. I think it's page seven. seven. Yeah, so page seven, seven. starts right. on page seven. Those of you following along the proposed Climate Action Commission 2022 Working Group slash Outreach Plan. Thanks so much for thinking of that, Becky. It has uh, blue bars at the top. So as discussed in previous meetings, what this, um, what this paper brings together is just all those ideas under one umbrella which is to say the discussions we've had about having project-based working groups, the discussions we've had about um, contacting community-based organizations, and some prior discussions about some of the more administrative committees that we periodically put together and need your help with. And what we're asking for, um, we've divided them into two sections, is that every member of the commission choose one project-based working group to participate in, and then choose either one community-based organization to reach out to or one administrative committee to participate in. So it's a bit of a choose your own adventure. Um, and of course, you're very welcome to participate in more than one if you would like. One of the things we've done is set up um, a staggered schedule for the project-based working groups based on when we would need that information, how does it make sense in terms of how it flows into the larger workflow of the division, and also just to allow somebody who participates in one, if they'd like to participate in another down the road, they can. What I would like to do today is run through what these working groups are so you have a better sense of what they might be. Um, and then we'll also take a quick look at the community-based organizations and the administrative committees. Our intention, I know the list of community-based organizations is quite long compared to the number of people we have and the fact that we're saying choose this or an administrative committee. So we're not asking that the commission entirely cover those outreach events. They will of course, or outreach efforts will be supplemented by staff, which is to say community-based organizations that you don't reach out to, we will reach out to, and we'll be working together to cover those tasks. So let's start with the working groups. We've identified four projects coming up this year that we could really use some insight and input from you all in. The first one is a solar project prioritization that flows out of the solar study that was presented to us in a previous meeting by JCED. Following their report, staff went through their findings. Um, we looked at uh, several projects that we thought might be viable based on their input and consulting with our own internal staff. Um, and the six projects that have been identified now need, we think, to be prioritized, which is to say that um, one of the nice things about a report like that is it has the luxury of thinking about solar and only solar. 
whereas we of course have to balance those projects against other priorities that are already existing for um, the accelerated action plan and figure out how they might fit in it, right? Recognizing that some things may take resources, either staff resources or financial resources away from other projects. So we wanna be deliberate in how we're approaching it. What this working group would do would be to take a look at the projects that are being recommended as possibilities flowing from that study, talk a little about how we see them fitting into the larger scheme of things, and then make recommendations as to how they could be amended into the accelerated action plan so that we understand exactly where they fit and what their timeline looks like. Um, there are based on those working groups or based on those projects, some other working groups that may flow out of it. Some of them um, may require some additional conversation. So that's the other reason why we wanted to have this working group set up first so that we can figure out what the priorities are. And then if needed, we can set up subsequent working groups to tackle some of those individual projects. Um, and of course we would be presenting you with that detailed information on the start of that meeting. Um, actually, that's something I should have led with. I will say, and it's noted in this, that as part of these working groups on the first meeting, um, each group will have a staff liaison who will be meeting with you. That staff liaison will be in charge of presenting you the overview of the project, any relevant information that we have at hand, outlining the questions that we would like you to take a look at. They would be setting the agenda for subsequent meetings and taking minutes so that really your participation can focus on the meeting and potatoes of discussing these projects and not worry so much about the administrative niceties that we have to take care of. The next one that we have lined up is an evaluation of an app. Some of you may recall this from previous discussions. Um, it's an app called Rent Lab, which essentially is uh, a software application that allows renters to self-disclose their utility costs for their rental unit. Um, some of our working groups, actually several of our working groups last year discussed uh, our action item related to requirements for existing and future rental permits. And in many of those discussions, we ran up against this wall of trying to onboard landlords, right? Um, and so what this Rent Lab app represents is a possibility of a workaround where, and rather than asking landlords to disclose their utility information, renters would be able to do so. But of course, like any network-based application, its value really lies in how widely adopted it is by its users. And so um, we don't want to invest in something that may not be widely adopted and ultimately not useful. If only 20 people report their utility fees, it's not that helpful to them or to other renters. So what we're proposing for this group is we'd like to set up a meeting with the software developer so that you can get a very thorough sense of what the application entails. Um, there are some other cities that have adopted it since the last time we heard from this company. So we would ask commission, or commission members to reach out to those cities and just ask a little about what the adoption was like in those cities and how well it has worked or things they might do differently. And then make a recommendation as to whether this might be a worthwhile uh, investment for the city here. In addition to that, there actually is a piece of legislation passing through the Iowa legislature right now, which might require um, energy disclosure on the part of landlords. So we would be keeping track of that bill and thinking about how it might impact something like this. Um, and that's one of the other reasons that we've staggered this one a little later in the year, just to keep our eye on that. 
The third working group um, relates to the neighborhood energy blitz phase two that had been discussed very lightly in previous sessions. Um, one of the things we've been thinking a lot about is how do we capitalize on the success of that program that generated enormous goodwill and a lot of interest in energy efficiency in the neighborhood itself. Um, handing out LED light bulbs is great, but insulating attics is so much the better. And we know in the neighborhoods that we've been reaching initially, there's a real need for it. Um, we have looked at several different models as to how that might work. Um, and you'll see them detailed in the document itself. And what we would be asking this group to do is to have some discussion about the different models, the pros and cons of each. We would want to involve um, representatives from both of the neighborhood energy blitz neighborhoods that had been targeted so far, so far to get their input on what they see possibly working for them or what the logistics hurdles might be, and then making a recommendation as to how we might move forward with that grant project. Um, the way it's looking now, it would probably be something that we would use the first phase one, if you will, of the neighborhood energy blitz as a way to create interest in this second option or the second offering, but they may not exist at the same moment in time, if that makes sense. So that's another thing that that group can be discussing. And you can see we've tentatively suggested that that could take place July through September, which of course allows time for the second neighborhood energy blitz to take place. Finally, resilience hubs, something that uh, we know is very important, um, probably the key strategy to our climate preparedness in the uh, action and adaptation plan, and something that we've discussed um, at great length ourselves internally. One of the things about resilience hubs is it's an idea that's much discussed, but and as a result, there are many different definitions that are floating around out there. Um, and it would be really good for our future effort to really zero in on what we mean by resilience hubs and how best to deploy them in the city. So this action or this working group would be charged at looking at reports from the two climate action grant funded projects that are related to resilience hubs to see the kind of work that's taken place there, to look at a report on the Teen Resilience Corps, which will have completed its pilot project at that point. Um, and at the potential solar and resilience hub grant program, which may flow out of the very first working group related to the solar prioritization projects to talk about how do we bring these ideas together and really start moving forward on the resilience hub efforts we'd like to put in place. Um, you'll see at the very bottom of this, then there's a list of future working groups for 2023. Of course, we have many ideas. But when we sat down and looked at the upcoming projects, these seemed like the four that would be the most timely to get your input on. I want to pause here and ask if there are any questions about any of these or the general structure of the project-based working groups that we're proposing. All right. Sorry, maybe just one. I did a quick look up on that bill that was associated with the, the landowners. I'm not sure that that's the right number. Oh, I think that might be for a different bill. Just maybe send out a, this one appears to be for firearms, something on firearms. So. Oh, <laughs> sounds relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might want some disclosure on that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll double check on that bill. Thank you.
All right, then moving on to the second section, um, the community-based outreach and administrative committees. This one's a little more self-explanatory. Um, we have a list of CBOs that we've identified as the top priorities to connect with in 2022 based on previous outreach efforts and a little bit based on what we're hoping to roll out in the months ahead. Um, what we are asking is that you would connect with them. This is not something that's meant to be an ongoing commitment on your part. It's really sort of a one and done um, unless you see the need to continue attending. But the idea is, for the groups that have standing monthly or bi-monthly meetings, we would just ask that you reach out and see if you could attend one of those meetings, um, both so you could talk very briefly about your role on the Climate Action Commission, the work that the commission does, some of our upcoming projects and programs, and then listen and hear the kinds of things that the CBO is discussing um, with an ear toward things that might intersect with climate issues so that we could be folding those into our discussions. The chief goal of this is really to create a connection between them and the commission so that even if it doesn't come up in the meeting that you attend, they have a face and a name connected with our actions that they know they can reach out to if they have future questions or would like to be involved or see a program that's of interest to them and just want more information. If they don't have standing meetings, um, our ask then is just that you reach out to the group leadership and see if you couldn't have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with them or with their executive council just to do the same thing. Talk a little about your role on the commission, what we're doing and ways that we can be better connected. Um, it's also an opportunity, as you know, one of our goals and from previous discussions is to diversify representation on the commission. Um, for folks whose terms may be expiring at the end of the year, this is also a nice opportunity to recruit a replacement um, for your position potentially from an underrepresented population here in Iowa City. So we've got that. Um, if instead of that, you'd like to help with one of the administrative committees, these are also one and done commitments. Unlike the project-based working groups, which would meet for three or four months and be done, these administrative committees really meet once and then are done. Um, and that's why they're paired with the CBO outreach. Um, the first one is the one that's actually coming up, and that's the Climate Action Grant Committee. Um, we would request two commission members to sit on the committee along with staff to assist in scoring the Climate Action Grant applications and selecting which ones get funding for the coming fiscal year. Um, Casey, you served on that committee last year. Is there anything you'd like to add about that experience? Or um, I actually found it somewhat entertaining. And it there is very nice explicit guidance as far as like the, the scoring goes, which was very helpful. So um, yeah, it was a fairly easy process and it wasn't a whole huge time commitment. Most of it is done outside of any meeting and then you come back together and kind of discuss and compare scores and determine final finalists for the grant. So yeah, overall I thought it was a very reasonable time commitment. And like I said, it was also somewhat entertaining. Yeah, it is fun to see some of the ideas that come forward. Um, and then you get excited when you see them succeed in the year ahead. So that's nice too. But we would be sending you the uh, short list of applications ahead of time and a scoring rubric so that all you would have to do is come to the meeting itself, having read through the applications and scored them and be ready to discuss them as, you know, to figure out who we're going to fund. Um, the next one's new. Uh, it's been a dream of mine. So let's make it a reality. 
to form a committee that can help uh, pick a film to be shown as part of Climate Fest in the coming year. There's so many wonderful environmental films out there that it's really hard um, for us as staff to watch all of them. We've been really lucky to be able to hit on uh, two really good ones in years past, but this is actually a fun activity as well. Um, and what we would ask is that members of this committee, uh, we would send some of the places that we generally look to look at film trailers or get more information about environmental films. Um, and then ask that you would come to one committee meeting having looked at two or three uh, films that you feel like could be real contenders so that we could discuss and zero in. And then from there, staff can reach out with those recommendations to uh, film scene to see what's available to us. So in this case, you don't even have to pick one winner. You can, we just wanna come up with a bundle of two or three viable options. Yeah, John. Is this a rough idea of length of film time-wise? Um, usually we aim for films that run somewhere between 90 minutes to two hours. And you don't have to watch the whole film. You can watch the trailer and read about the film. Um, and then for ones that we want to more seriously consider, we can reach out and see if we can get screener permissions. But um, in the past, we haven't had to do that. So it may be a, a four or five minute commitment <laughs> in terms of watching a bit about the film. Um, and then the final one is the Climate Action at Work Awards Committee. To be very honest, the Climate Action at Work Awards program has uh, struggled a bit to get businesses to apply for the award, um, even though we've tried to make the application very simple. You know, it can be very hard, I think, for business owners who have a million other things on their plates to think about filling out a little application in hopes of getting a little recognition. Um, and we've thought about ways to uh, possibly reimagine that program, but I always think it's good to run a program at least three years before you really tinker with it. Um, so what we want to do this year is form a committee um, where we could have folks on the committee nominating businesses. We found it's much easier if someone has a a handle on something really cool a business is doing, and then we can reach out to them directly and say, hey, we heard you're doing this or that related to climate action. We've got this award. We'd really love it if you would apply. Um, and so we're just asking for a little assistance with that. It would involve keeping your eyes out in the coming year within the community to see which businesses are um, taking climate action in various forms, and then coming to that committee meeting with a mind of set of, you know, here are the ones we've identified and maybe helping us do some of that initial outreach to see if they'd be interested in applying for the award. Uh, we, that would be hugely, hugely helpful. Um, so here too, I'll pause and ask if there are any questions about these items. I'm happy to do the uh, Climate Fest Committee uh, commitment. <laughs> uh, I already did the uh, grant action last year, a grant committee. I probably can't do that. That sounds great. So um, just Stratus. to Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Stratus. Uh, just to get ahead of that, and to be clear, one of the things we're asking, you don't have to commit to these today. In fact, we want to give you time to really think about them. Um, what we're asking is that by March 15th, so the middle of next week, you would each individually email me with your um, top two working group preferences and your top three CBO or administrative committee preferences. And then we'll sort through them and get everybody assigned and let you know what those assignments are at our next meeting. And of course, if you have any follow-up questions, you're welcome to email us individually about that as well. 
but I, I think Stratus's consideration about having done something before and wanting to try something new is a really good one. Like it's nice to share out these responsibilities and experiences. So that being said, are there any other questions? You said March 15th. March 15th. Sarah, for the Climate Action at Work Awards Committee, what's the rough timeline? And when you'd want folks to engage with that in order for the program to roll out yet this year? Um, usually, usually we make that announcement about uh, accepting applications in late July, and the committee itself meets in August um, with an eye toward being able to give out the awards in September as part of Climate Fest. So you're really looking um, at probably uh, one meeting either in late August or, well, yeah late August. <laughs> September's too late to get them on board with applying. It was really clear, clearly laid out. I think really helpful. Are there any other questions? Just lots to think about for a week. Hopefully you're looking at this list and seeing some fun things. We had a, a lot of it sounds funny, but we took fun into consideration a bit too. Like what are the things that are really going to be enjoyable to weigh in as well as things that, you know, we really value your insight on. So I think hopefully it'll be a good experience all around. And I'll just note that in terms of the duties of our commission, these clearly over some, you know, depending on which uh, group you were engaged with or which project group, it might be, you know, it's addressing um, at least three or four out of the, the duties of our, of our commission, um, from research to educating and engaging with the public to helping the city staff do their work. Um, some of this will end up advising the city council. Um, and uh, the last duty we always have is about recommending updates on the plan. But I think at this point, since we have so much to work with on the plan and staff would guide us at which, you know, we can kind of keep some things in the, in the back of our minds and there will always be a more formal time for doing a bigger review on that. But I think this gets to the heart of why a lot of us signed up um, to do this. And uh, yeah, no, it's kind of fun it's like being in a candy store so <laughs> thanks sarah and everybody for putting that together um, well our next item under unfinished business is a multi-family um, evse rebate program and we have an info update on that yeah so um this is just a brief update uh daniel unfortunately wasn't able to be here today so um <laughs> We'll have to save some thanks and praise for when he is with us. But this program officially launched on Friday. Um, we took many of your recommendations and questions into account as we finalized the program. And included in your packet, we wanted to include the flyer that went out um, and that will be distributed in the future to help advertise it. Um, it substantially looks similar to what Danny had presented previously. One point of clarification I know we did want to make um, was a question came up about how it pairs with Mid-American Energy's rebate and making sure that it's clear to landlords that they're not going to pay nothing. Um, they are not going to pay nothing, to be clear. Um, the Mid-American rebate really focuses on the equipment and our rebate focuses on installation specifically. And we did that because um, 
based on the experience Danny had had installing uh, EV charging structures here in the city and that I had had in my previous EV work, those installation charges sometimes outpace, often actually outpace the cost of the equipment itself. And so they become a, a big deterrent to getting the equipment installed. So our goal is to help reduce those costs um, by helping out a little with the installation. And it's a 50-50 cost share with a maximum rebate of $2,500. As part of that process, Danny will be meeting individually with the landlords or HOAs to help them identify uh, good locations for their charging equipment. Um, because one of the mistakes that gets made, and certainly we don't want to end up ineffectively helping pay for is if people put the charging equipment very far from their buildings that of course adds to the installation costs considerably um, and $2,500 will only go so far in that case so uh, Danny's going to use his wealth of experience citing the city's charging stations to put them in or help landlords put them in. Um, as I said, it launched on Friday. Uh, when the press release out, we immediately started getting calls in the office suggesting that there's real interest in it. Um, there were three different landlords who called to talk to Danny that afternoon, and we already had four on a list of people we had previously talked with who were interested. So we're anticipating a fair amount of uh, success, hopefully, with this program. Um, and I'll just note personally, one of the things that I find just so exciting about this program in particular is that, as you know, from many of our discussions about climate action and equity, often when we're having those conversations about equity and climate justice, what we're really talking about is trying to reset the course to right some historic wrongs. With this charging program aimed at uh, multifamily units, we have a rare opportunity to get out ahead of an inequitable situation before it forms by making sure that all people in our community, whether or not they own their own homes, have the opportunity to invest in electric vehicle technology as fits their budget and be able to charge it at their place of residence. Um, so I just really want to applaud the commission for your support of this program. I think it's uh, groundbreaking in some really wonderful ways. John. Yeah, not looking for any statistics, obviously, but just your gut feel. If you've got six or seven landlords that have expressed interest, if you know anything about them, would you say generally they're higher end, medium end, low end uh, rental property? Um, actually, Danny would be able to answer that question better than me, but they seem to cut across the board. And that's been really interesting to me. Um, in particular, that actually, um, although the first contact we had was from a condo association about this program, that conversation ended up leading to a landlord um, on the south side of Iowa City in uh, it, who owns a apartment complex that I think um, is a more for more moderate income residents of Iowa City. Um, and what we're really, actually, it's interesting, what we're really doing with this program is, you know, the question came up in the last meeting about how it's a kind of chicken and egg question. And Danny read this really wonderful article last week that said it's really more of a chicken and waffles question, like the two go together. Um, and the fact is that most people who charge, charge at their place of residence. That's the most like convenient, so it makes sense. Um, a program like this, uh, there's a perception that it, um, electric vehicles 
are really for the wealthy and they have a really high price tag because of course Tesla is the most prominent example. But if you look at the pricing information about all the EVs that are available um, on the market today, those prices are rapidly diminishing. And there are several models that are already have price parity with the equivalent, and that's for new models. If you look at the used market, um, EVs up until, up until we had some computer chip supply chain issues were actually very competitive compared to other, uh, other used vehicles. And a household that gets one of these vehicles is going to have substantial savings um, in terms of their fuel costs for the vehicle and their overall maintenance. So that getting them into the hands of folks who are living on um, a lower moderate income uh, can actually have big ramifications for the household budget overall, which is one of the things we're excited about with this program. Thank you. I guess I didn't, maybe it's in the application detail. I was looking on the, on the website for the, the announcement about it. Um, is it. Is it a per stall incentive or a per project incentive? Like, it's, it's, I think you're asking, is the question really, are they gonna get one charging unit or multiple charging units? Right. Yeah, um, it's one charging unit per property right now to okay. share because it's a pilot. And then we'll see if there's a lot of demand for extras how we want to reconfigure that but just looking realistically also at the ev registration numbers for the county it makes sense to try to share the love and do they're going to be one it's one charging unit with dual ports so one unit that can serve two cars at once per property thank you once more property owners are taking advantage of the program will we get reports back on the number of successful installations or the number of sort of, uh, and across the demographics that John is asking about. Yes, absolutely. And Danny's looking at other ways we can track some of those metrics, including um, how many people live in that apartment complex or that condo association. Um, the one thing I will say that we've been making very clear <laughs> in the early conversations, um, particularly with those coming from condo associations is that it's meant to be shared equipment. You can't apply to get um, one charging station for your own personal use in your own dedicated stall. It has to be something that's available to all people living in that community. Sarah, is there an easy way to get the total number of EV vehicles and uh, EVs in Iowa City right now and keep an ongoing log of hopefully the incremental growth um, we don't have the ability to drill down to Iowa City specifically, but I do track those numbers on a quarterly basis um, for Johnson County, which is about how far down the uh, DOT lets us drill in that data. Um, and in fact, I had just shared that with Becky last week, so it's all the more shameful that I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but I can tell you that we've been adding somewhere in the neighborhood of about 200 to 250 registrations per quarter. Um, and that every quarter we check, that number gets bigger. So it's clearly, it's um, Danny has a wonderful chart that shows that it's really kind of taking off in a way that suggests we're going to see exponential growth. Thank you. That sounds right, Sarah. I think the number for December wasn't at 800 something. That's what I was thinking too, somewhere around, somewhere in the neighborhood of 850. 
Um, and that's huge considering that last year it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 300. Despite all the supply chain issues we've had. I'd be curious to know how many of those are new and how many of those are used. That's an interesting thing too, because uh, if the f prices are in fact coming down, uh, there'd be two reasons. Uh, competition's forcing them down and uh, people are getting rid of their earlier models and replacing them. I, I'm, I'm surprised that there's that much parity. I haven't done the research you have. But I, I keep hearing that Oh, you're going to save a lot of money. You're going to save a lot of money. It's got to make that initial investment, though. That's that's the hard part. Yeah. That's first one. Yeah. People are often surprised by that price parity. The projection was actually that they would be achieving price parity across the board um, this year. That's been slowed down slightly by the supply chain issues with the microchips, but I, it, it's basically here. Yeah. Well, that's really good news. I better get caught up. <laughs> the last report I heard was yesterday about how the most expensive component in an EV is the battery and how expensive batteries are for all the reasons that we understand, including uh, pandemic. You know, just not that I could talk EV, EVs all day, but I'll just add one other interesting note that over the weekend, I was talking with someone who talked about how he used his EV during the derecho essentially as a backup um, resource for his home. He was able to go out to the car and charge all of his devices and his laptop so he could continue working and his phone so he could stay in touch with his family, even though he was without power for more than a week, which um, I think also gets to one of the other reasons we wanna make sure that this technology is shared as broadly as possible throughout the community because it also helps a little with some emergency preparedness and resilience. For this program, is there a way to see or have people self-report having the EV installed where they live causes them to buy one, the, the charging port? Is there some outreach that we could do with the landlords and see if somebody comes to the landlord and says, hey, I'm, I bought one because there was one here? Um, yep. Yeah. We can certainly try. We can certainly try. That would track with what's been seen where this equipment is installed elsewhere. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprising finding at all. But yeah, I'll mention that to Danny. Well, it sounds like you're off to a good start with six or seven folks already interested. So if there's no other questions, we'll um, move on to our new business which is the Teen Resilience Core program. So speaking of resilience, uh, you can hear more <laughs> about that. And this relates to one of the um, proposed uh, project working groups, the topic of resilience. So. Yeah. So apologies again for the mishap that you didn't get the correct memo in your packet. Um, but hopefully you all received the email earlier this afternoon with the corrected version. Um, this is a program that we're very excited about, in part because it grew up organically out of conversations with a number of community partners, um, in, including the Library and United Action for Youth. Um, what this program proposes to do is uh, we're going to, as the pilot, recruit five teens to participate over the course of the summer. 
they are going to receive resilience training, um, which will involve talking about the projected climate impacts for Iowa City um, and what that means uh, for residents living here. Um, there's also a really interesting neighborhood mapping exercise involved where uh, teens will be mapping their own neighborhoods um, with an eye towards selecting a two block area in the neighborhood where we'll be asking them to go door to door and talk to their neighbors. Um, and, you know, uh, those of you who've gone through the climate ambassador training may recall one of the things we love to talk about is how one of the best ways to build resilience is to make muffins for your neighbors, right? Just to know who's living around you because that's the first line of defense after something like a derecho. Those are the people who are gonna knock on your door and check on you first. Um, the teens are gonna go around in a two block area that they'll select in their own neighborhood with a goal of having a meaningful conversation, which is to say more than hi, goodbye. <laughs> you know? Um, with 10 neighbors living in that area to talk a little about um, the potential impacts of climate change in their neighborhood. So asking questions like, if we start having more days above 90 degrees or more nights that don't cool off, what might that mean for you and your family? What uh, Are you able to stay cool in your own house? Why or why not? Um, and then the teens will come back to the library. I should mention all these trainings will be taking place at the library. Um, and they'll sort of unpack the conversations they've had with their neighbors, and they'll use it to um, help us create a home resilience starter pack, similar to the starter packs that were handed out at Climate Fest last year, but um, using ideas from the teens about other information or items that might be included in it. And one of the things we're asking the teens to do is to create a zine about resilience that'll be included in the packet itself. Um, as you may recall, I don't know how many of you do the presentation we had from Astig Planning several months ago about the work they did. Uh, one of the things we're borrowing from them is the storytelling exercise that they talked about doing with residents where you talk about a person in your life who's resilient and use that storytelling exercise to come up with your own definition of resilience. Um, and so that definition is one of the things that'll be in the, pack, in the zine. Um, other ideas that um, we've been discussing with Aztec Planning include an exercise that they tried with their Climate Action Grant funded project in the South District neighborhood, which is an exercise to create a kind of DIY air conditioner in, a, in an emergency using a cooler. And um, it'll be a nice hands-on activity for the teens. And then possibly they could include in the zine drawings that show their neighbors how to do something similar. Or there are many possibilities, obviously. What we're trying to do is create a framework that allows these teens to have these conversations but still make it their own. Um, at the end of the project, they'll go back through their neighborhood and distribute those kits with the neighbors that they met with initially. Um, copies of the kits will also be made available on the bookmobile, so the teens will be sharing what they learned with the broader community. Um, and they'll also be available at the library, which fits in the library's goal of trying to establish itself as one of our community resilience hubs. Um, and I'll say one of the things that really excites me and makes me very proud of this program is it's very much from the very beginning been intentionally designed to be a grassroots program where we're providing resources and support for the organizations that are participating in it to really take ownership and make it a true grassroots effort rather than something where the city is coming in and from the top down saying, 
this is what we mean by resilience. This is what we intend to do for your neighborhood. These are the needs we see you having. So it's um, wonderful, I think, on that level. As part of the program also, um, all of the teens participating will be paired with members of our AmeriCorps team to serve as mentors who will be meeting with them in between training sessions to help sort of process what they're learning. Um, and also we'll be going through the neighborhoods with them as they do their door-to-door -door knocking to talk with neighbors so that the teens aren't out there doing it on their own. They have someone along with them to provide support and to help process the things that they're talking about. Um, but also we hope to use this as a way to create a bridge toward encouraging the teens who will be in their junior and senior year of high school, or I'm sorry, let me correct myself, sophomore and junior year of high school. And um, we wanna encourage those teens to think about becoming summer AmeriCorps members the following year after they graduate so that in a way we're creating a bit of a pathway towards some green jobs training as well in the program. That's sort of high level where it's at. Um, in the memo you received, you got more detailed information on it, and then also in the equity checklist that we filled out about it. But I do want to make sure we have some time to answer any questions you might have. I have just a clarification about, I think it's question 5B in the equity toolkit um, about how the partnership can be continued throughout the program. I think it just says yes. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate on, on this. Absolutely. <laughs> there are so many boxes to fill out in this equity form. I'm surprised not more of them just don't say yes or TBD or TBD. <laughs> um, partnerships with the stakeholders continue throughout the implementation process. So as you know, or as was outlined in the memo, um, the process itself has been um, an ongoing, we have monthly meetings with the um, different stakeholders who are involved in developing this program, and they are going to stay involved throughout the uh, delivery as well. So they'll be participating in the trainings at the library. Um, they'll be helping the teens as they make their zines. And then we're hoping to tap into their knowledge as we look to expand this pilot project in future years by um, asking, you know, what worked, what didn't, what other organizations would you recommend or could you connect us with? Uh, United Action for Youth is already talking about connecting us with Dream City next year to do something similar, which is really nice. Um, and the other layer of that is that, of course, the teens themselves are stakeholders in this process. And one of the things we've been discussing is bringing the teens back um, next year to help with parts of the training as well so that they have continued involvement in the process, even if they aren't going on to be Green Iowa AmeriCorps members. Sorry about that one word response. <laughs> okay. I assumed it was a mistake. Um, and I have another question about the um, how the project will be considered successful. And I'm wondering if, um, if you can provide sort of more specific ideas about what would be successful, whether it's the number of neighbors connected with or, or how, I think one of the things mentioned in there is that the library is positioned to be a resilience hub and how will we know what that looks like and if that's been successful. Right. Um, so part of this has been an education process for the library itself. We were part of the impetus behind this project was that the teen services librarian reached out to us having attended a library conference where resilience hubs were discussed 
text and said, I'm super interested in this. We would love to get the library um, on a map as one of the uh, resilience hubs, but we don't actually know a lot of what it that means. And so I, I would say even now, just having been involved in several months of conversation and really dialing in that definition for the library is one of the successes or initial successes we've had so far. I think if we have teens who um, can speak to their own definition of what it means to be resilient, I think that's one of our indicators of success, you know, that it's something that has clearly been the product of critical thought and not just a definition handed down to them, um, that they feel more engaged in their neighborhood, that they can name more of the neighbors in the two block area. Uh, one of the exercises we'll be doing with them actually has them draw out that area and write down the names of the neighbors and what they know about them. And uh, our hope is at the end of the program that they can provide a more detailed map as one way to measure that success. Um, and then I think if we have um, neighbors who otherwise have not had this information before, who now feel more connected, if not to the city, then to the teens living in their neighborhood who feel they have a connection to the city so that that information is flowing both ways, I think that will be another indicator of success. Um, admittedly, where we're a little uh, light in thinking about the metrics of success is I, I tend to think um, qualitative rather than quantitative for something like this. And so if there are quantitative numbers that you would like to see, we're certainly very, very open to hearing what those might be and giving some thought as to how we might collect them. Yeah, I, I don't like being the like quantitative person. Uh, <laughs> I do think that even having you know, I think if if the teens only met one neighbor or if only one neighbor in this whole program felt like they knew more, that we probably wouldn't think of it as a success. And so I think it can be helpful to set a goal, even if we have like no idea, like we hope it's 20 neighbors or something, you know, that get, just gives us something to kind of talk about and and to be like, wow, this was it was way harder to get to know the neighbors than we thought it was going to be. And like, we only talked to two people. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still like helpful and like, like lets us know kind of what we're aiming for. So I do in any of these projects, I think having some kind of, even if it's like just a wild guess kind of quantitative. Yeah. I mean, to that end, we're looking to recruit five teens and we're asking them to have 10 meaningful conversations. And then at, presumably they would drop off kits for the entire two block area, but for those 10, especially. So at a minimum, we would be hoping to reach 50 neighbors, which is nothing to sneeze at for a little program. That's great. That's so helpful. Yeah. John and then Matt. I'm glad you brought up the quantitative and, and it could be a question of is, do we need more qualitative or quantitative uh, evidence or sales materials as, as we're going out and selling our audiences? And that's a, that's a typical paradox polarity. The answer is yes, we want quantitative and qualitative. And what struck me immediately when you said that were the tornadoes that just struck the state of Iowa. And somebody said, boy, they stuck to the ground for a long, long distance. And then I heard on the radio that yes, 60 some miles, those tornadoes were on the ground. And, and both those are very powerful stories. 
But there's a good example, particularly for deniers, where quantitative, I think, is, is really important. It's what's, what do our audiences want? Yes, they want qualitative and quantitative. And because of our personalities and the way we operate, we tend to favor one over the other. And I think all of us need to be able to tell great qualitative stories, but be able to back up with quantitative metrics. So I think everything we do needs to, our marketing needs to take that into account because we're selling. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of people we have to sell. And so that's a huge, huge issue. I'm really glad you brought it up. One thing that I've been thinking about in the process of coming to these meetings is if there is one or three actions that you want someone in the community to engage with in terms of climate with the city, what would you want that one thing to be? Would it be to sign up for the sustainability newsletter? Would it be to, um, I don't know, download a copy of the checklist for what you should be doing in your home to save electricity or um, kind of like if, if um, with the Goldie and Action Matters and all of this, really help helping people to prioritize. It seemed like the research showed that people want to take action but are overwhelmed by how many ways there are and really want to know what is my next step or you know, what, what is most bang for my buck if I'm going to have a lifestyle change? And it's hard to say, buy an EV, eat organic, all plant-based and <laughs> unplug everything at night. And, you know, so I think that um, one thing we could learn from this group, the teens is where are people and, you know, what is a way for them to prioritize their actions so that if we're having one ask, we can really put weight behind a handful of choices and not the laundry list of overwhelming actions. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it was a thought. <laughs> Actually, that's where I, my mind was going was that, you know, the this definition or pilot program is completely different than how I would have approached the idea of a resilience hub, right? Just it's defined differently. And I appreciate that, you know, that I, that the approach is so different because it's, it's reaching people that might not otherwise have been, we would have reached, right? If through a different method. And, um, and so I'm excited to, to kind of see that combined with other ways of, of looking at it too in the future with the, with the working group that you're looking to organize after the fact. So yeah, in a way it's like, it's hearing directly the, the messaging, what messaging is getting out there and let's bring it back for some mm -hmm. additional, I guess, input or data, right? Or like the, in, if we're kind of like leveraging the beginning of a relationship, what is the way to stay in touch with people? Is it to follow something, the city on Twitter or wherever people are these days, Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> other social media channels? Or, or disconnected entirely. <laughs> So, yeah. is, is there a chance that to, the, to these good points that since some the the approach is somewhat defined because it's about resilience versus I appreciate what you're saying something where you're really trying to find the one thing whether it's resilience or not but could there be a follow-up in the fall and maybe staff would have to do this because the students will be back in a regular class just something sent to the or, you know something with the approval of the the young folks but they just to say to the families like have you have you done any have you used your pack or mm. um 
can you tell us of all the things you learned, which um, or either which did you do or which which do you remember, which made most of an impact on you? And that might get a little bit at knowing how these types of interactions lead to next steps, whether for some folks it's a practical um, step of they learn how to set up, they have the things that they're keeping the things so they can do a cooling station mm -hmm. for themselves or um, did they sign up or you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's a little bit of a prompt so you get some answers and but um, it'd be interesting like just what comes to their top of mind um, and also kind of related to the timing. I know when this relates to the the checklist and um, so 2A in the equity review is about and I apologize I'm working off of just memory here and I don't have the sheet in front of me but it's it's about sort of who's engaged with it like um, and, and what and the Iowa City Community School District was not checked off and I, under, I would understand that some of the students may be you could have someone homeschooled or they could not be within the school district necessarily but I wondered if in the fall and I guess you, you as staff might have to do this because we don't want to put too much on these teens but could you reach out to the school papers um, at the high schools and maybe encourage them to do a story where they could interview what happened during the summer and some of the teens could talk about that experience as you know obviously as long as they're comfortable I mean that's another as you know learning skill about just how to tell your story after the fact not just in the and not the, just communicating within but I think that would be a wonderful way to get the word out to many more students and then I would hope you have the problem of unfortunately turning people away the next year you know expanding it a little bit mm -hmm. but um reaching even more people so. one of the other things we've been discussing I actually um didn't include it in the memo because I hadn't had the conversation by the time we put it together but we've also reached out to public space one to be a partner on the project um, to help uh, with the zine portion and we've also discussed creating a video that the students could share through their social media feeds about what they learned, but that could also be used to recruit future students to say, you know, this is what I did this summer. This is what I got out of it. And you could do this too. I mean, in my heart of hearts, if we really want to talk about a vision for a bigger world, like, wouldn't it be amazing if someday, um, instead of having a formal pilot process, like this just becomes part of the conversation and kids starts, you know, talking to other kids about it and they start talking to other neighbors and kids are saying to themselves, yeah, I don't know all the neighbors on my block. If something happened, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit big for the first pilot, but it's certainly, uh, something I think that's on my heart. Um, I would just add to what Becky was saying about the school district roping them in. If you decide you would want to do that, you could reach out to Sustainable Schools AmeriCorps. Um, I believe they are in charge of a sustainability newsletter and a lot of the groups in the school district. So that would be a good group to loop in and maybe they could uh, recruit students or ask uh, the previous students in the groups questions and interview them like Becky suggested. Looks like Ben just took himself off mute, so he might want to speak to this. Yeah, are you able to hear me? Yep. Okay, yeah, so there's actually a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes of the school district that's really not public information yet, so I can't really bring it up in the meeting. Um, we don't actually have the sustainability AmeriCorps group working with us anymore. We are looking more long-term and, and 
um, I'd say more permanent. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to connect with students now with green teams that exist throughout the school district and we're anticipating having quite a bit more uh, work uh, in the future. One question I had about, you know, we've been talking a little bit about this is a pilot program, thinking about even beyond this year, right, even though it hasn't really happened yet. But um, the current effort is funded through a grant, correct? Is that the pilot is being done through a grant? Um, no, we've set aside funds within okay. our climate action funds to support this project. Okay, so the project on itself is a sustainable, potentially a sustainable project on its own then with a funding source, okay. Um, and one idea we've had, I mean, right now, obviously with any pilot, the thing is to get it launched and figure out what works and what doesn't. But, you know, as we think ahead to what might work, one of the goals for it um, could possibly be to help enable other CBOs to really take ownership of this project. Um, we're actually contracting with ASTIG to develop the training materials for us, which then will be turned over to us, partly with the thought that potentially in the future, we could set up a program where CBOs apply to sponsor a teen resilience core, and they would be given the training materials and they would be given financial support um, to help roll it out themselves. And we could can hit myself in the face of the microphone and amplify the effects that way. <laughs> Is um, Public Space One the only group you've reached out to for making the video? zine or is there was there that i didn't see anything like who is going to help them do that portion right public space Mon one is the primary organization we've contacted so far we've also had some discussions you know the city cable staff is very talented um and i think would be very happy to work with us on this project as well if we needed their help um we'd like to try public space one first if possible just to get it a little more out in the community but we do have a backup plan just in case. Will they get t-shirts with a new mascot? <laughs> That's my new, oh. I was seriously thinking about it. Can they, <laughs> maybe? Is it too early? That's such a fun idea. We should all get t-shirts. <laughs> um, it, it's certainly a possibility. Are, are the students going to be penalized in any way if they don't talk to 10 people? Like if, you know, they just have like seven only want to talk to them? You know, it's Is really that... interesting. A lot of the initial discussion within the stakeholder steering committee has focused on, um, we looked at a program from another city that was developed for teens um, that involved COVID outreach. And some of the materials that they developed, the steering committee felt were sort of took a punitive approach right from the start, like outlining, you know, this is what you are going to do and aren't going to do if you if you want to get your stipend. And the steering committee, very rightly, I think, um, said like that's not cool. <laughs> so uh, there's been a lot of discussion about how to make this something where we're really supporting teens to succeed and not penalizing them for failure. Um, and so that's involved things like talking about setting group expectations at the beginning um, and taking sort of a storytelling approach to that as well to say like, what are teams you've been involved in that have been successful? What contributed to that success? What kind of environment do you need? 
um, to really feel supported in this work and feel like you're welcome. So um, there's, we wanna right from the beginning create that a sense of support within the teens themselves. And then we're, part of the thinking and pairing them with the mentors is to have someone with them who, if somebody closes the door and doesn't wanna talk, they've got somebody right there on the sidewalk to say, this is the way canvassing works, you know, like you didn't talk to them, we'll go to the next door, it's okay, and to keep moving around. And ultimately, yeah, if they don't reach all 10, like we're not going to penalize them, we're not going to withhold the stipend, but we are going to have someone on the ground with them as they're knocking on those doors to really help them reach out and say, hey, maybe, maybe the people on the street just weren't home today, let's try this one block over, even though it wasn't on the original map, and see if we have any more luck there. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they weren't, you know, like, yeah, if I know how sales goes, if, you know, you, you get eight doors slammed into your face. I mean, I get that there will be somebody there with them, but just to make sure that, you know, they're, they're trying, but you can't, you know. The other thing so we're going to do um, is part of the success with the neighborhood energy blitz is we had a really multi-layered uh, strategy to get the word out to that neighborhood in advance that included like putting up um, yard signs a week in advance saying like, hey, we're coming, keep your eye out for these kits. And it seemed to work really well. Like people actually answered the door saying, oh, are these the kits we've been waiting for? So we've talked about having a similar strategy to help support, like just drawing on those successes and lessons learned for this program. Um, and what we're talking about is again, putting out signs on the neighborhood saying, you know, keep your eyes out for these teens coming to talk to you. And also we've been talking about putting out door hangers a week in advance, just saying, you know, in the coming week, a teen is gonna come to your door to talk to you about these things. Um, so we're also prepping the neighbors to have those conversations. Cause I think if somebody showed up at my door and was like, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> uh, I don't know how I would respond, <laughs> but if we can give them a little prep work to help set those teens up for success in that way, um, we're very interested in doing that. So that's part of the plan as well. Are they provided a list of questions that they're asking or is it more open-ended? Um, we have some suggested questions that have been brainstormed by the steering committee, but um, they're really meant to be sort of a scaffolding for the teens to develop questions of their own. And if you think very broadly, about the goals of the project in terms of just strengthening neighborhood cohesiveness and connections between neighbors. Ultimately, the answers to those questions are less important than the conversation taking place itself. And so we wanna create enough flexibility for those teens to be able to chat with their neighbor about whatever is on their neighbor's mind that day, if that's the direction it goes, you know, because they're still establishing um, a connection that's gonna allow them to drop off the kits and that's all important. Sounds like you've, you've really thought of a lot of things in the steering committee. So um, are there any additional questions on the resilience? You said at the end of it that the kind of the training materials um, would be kind of handed over or you'd have, you'd essentially have that on hand after the program, right? I just, I'm thinking about just other applications, you know, that, um, you know, this is, this is great from like a neighborhood residential scale size that I also think about it from terms of like businesses, you know, like, could you adapt this process to the downtown district businesses um, and different, just different types of neighborhoods, right? And, um, you know, so, I mean, you I could see doing similar exercises, you know, and maybe even, you know, the work that was done with pandemic 
resilience planning in the in the community, translating that to, to climate resilience planning. And so, I don't know, it just is bringing up all sorts of little things in my head of how that could be adapted. Sounds to me like you're gonna be signing up for the Resilience Hub working group. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> this is just a little thought. If they end up making a, a movie or video about what they've done, it would be neat if that was maybe like a short at the beginning of Climate Fest and maybe you already got that, isn't that, eh? Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, and we're thinking also about putting it in the newsletter, putting a link to it, which would be fun. Like we really wanna, we really wanna just applaud these teens for the hard work we're asking them to do. I mean, it's a big deal to go door to door and to talk about the things we're hoping they'll talk about. Hmm. I love the idea of showing as a short ahead of the main film itself. I think we definitely nailed the discussion part of this. So. <laughs> so if there aren't any other questions or uh, comments on it, we'll move on to item eight, which is recap of actionable items for us commissioners for the work, uh, working groups, which we don't quite have yet really, um, and the staff. Um, so the big actionable item that that I have for this meeting is just for each of you to let me know by March 15th, your two top choices for working group and your three top choices for the CBO slash administrative committees. And uh, then we will come back to you in April with those assignments. Well, with that, I think we are, since we don't have any other agenda items, um, we will be able to adjourn just a little bit early today. Um, I just wanna double check just because sometimes it's hard with the communication, but um, folks who are online, do, did you have any final questions about our action items or you're all good? No, thank you. Okay, thank you. So um, I will officially adjourn our meeting and we will meet in April. Okay.